Um, so my talk um, is digitizing Haynes is probably the, the lesser of the two. I'll talk more about Haynes rather than digitize, digitizing his collections, but uh, there will be a portion at the very end where I discuss that. So we're going to do quite a bit more just talking about uh, his work in the park in the 1880s, focusing on that. Uh, and see how I do with uh, my notes and shifting back and forth. So this really started for me uh, with the, the magazine. Uh, did an article that came out in the summer. And you know this, this year being the uh, sesquicentennial for Yellowstone, uh, the magazine has endeavored to do one article um, each uh, one article on Yellowstone history in each issue, so there's still one more to come. Um, we've had three, and so I was honored to be a part of that. Um, so if you if you've already read the article, that's that's awesome. Um, you'll see a lot of the images. There's a few more I've added, and um, so hopefully it will still be worthwhile. Uh, and um, yeah, so that I mean I want to give thanks to um, you don't really get an opportunity to after it's been published, but. Uh, to really the whole pub publication staff at MHS, uh, who were a tremendous help in forming this this article in particular, and this kind of look at Haynes in this uh, in the 1880s. So definitely want to thank them for getting me through it. So on to Haynes himself. Let's see if the technology works. So yeah, Haynes was born in uh, Michigan. He started life in Sal Salina, Michigan, which is a small town west of Detroit. Um, his father was a merchant and so so F.J. Haynes uh, was, and his name is Frank Frank J. Haynes. Uh, professionally he he ultimately went by F.J. Haynes. Um, he was probably called professor by a lot of people commonly um, but I just I just never call him that. <laughs> always refer to him as F.J. Haynes because it's it's usually on the photos themselves and um, that was his professional name so I will use that throughout, but so he, he's raised to pretty much as, as typical of the time, the mid 1800s to take his father's place, to take over his father's business. Um, unfortunately, the, the panic of 1873 hit uh, right as Haynes was, uh, I guess Haynes would be about 19 or so, 19, maybe 20 at that point. So he's just ready to take over the business and his father's business fails. Uh, so he's, he's left with, with nothing no employment. Um, so he ends up leaving Salina, uh, not knowing what he's going to do. And he ends up uh, helping a, a traveling salesman um, heading toward Wisconsin, heading into Wisconsin. Um, this ends up failing as well. Uh, he, uh, he then has his, his last backup for a couple of months in, in 1874. He's, he's basically uh, wandering through Wisconsin trying to sell uh, furniture polish to survive, to get one meal to the next, one day to the next. Uh, that lasts for at least two months for him. And this is this uh, this uh, event in his life, this 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 trial is very formative in uh, really the rest of his life. Uh, throughout, you, you see him uh, always sort sort of pushing on for financial security and financial success. Um, and it comes through very clearly in his photographic work and his studio and everything that he does. Um, it's as if, you know, he just he has that wolf uh, there haunting him from his early, his coming of age that, uh, that pressed him to make sure that he would be a financial success and be, be successful in business. 
Uh, so he, he ultimately uh, lands a job with a, a photographer, a traveling itinerant photographer in Wisconsin. Does that for a little while, learns some things from him. Uh, ends up at, uh, in Ripon, Wisconsin, working for William Lockwood, really William and Ada Lockwood, uh, at the, the Temple of Photography, which is a, a photography oh, yeah. studio in, in Ripon, Wisconsin. And there he learns really everything that he would need for the rest of his life, for his career in photography. And he, and he kind of begins to see that he can make a living and do this and be successful. Uh, so he spends about 16 months with them. He also... Uh, Ada Lockwood's sister, Lily Snyder, uh, works at the Temple of Photography occasionally, doing, uh, touching up photographs, uh, uh, doing, doing work on, on a multitude of things. So he meets her, uh, and they uh, hit it off. Uh, they, they fall in love. Um, so they're not married till later. But, so so that he, his time with the Lockwoods uh, ends with, uh, it may be caught up in some uh, conflict because because of his relationship with Lily, um, but but at some point he has to to part with the Lockwoods, and he he had been uh, his sister, his older sister had had gone to the Northwest, which at that point is this is Moorhead, Minnesota, the kind of the end of the line of the Northern Pacific um, as the Northwest. So he heads Northwest to uh, join her. They've been uh, her husband is a hardware store. Um, owner and uh, they had been trying to draw him to to Moorhead to to be a photographer there. Uh, so he does. Uh, it's a frontier town, you know, it's it's bustling um, with activity and uh, he, within a month he gets his first contract with the Northern Pacific Railroad uh, who is looking for photographers in that area. So he, he's at the right place at the right time in this in this move, of course. And um, and finds plenty of work for him to do. And really that relationship with the Northern Pacific is, is the beginning, the basis for all of the rest of his, his life's work. Um, he opens a studio in, in Moorhead uh, within a few months with help from his sister and brother-in-law and, uh, and just continues to work for the Northern Pacific. Uh, they send him on, uh, you know, photographers had in that day, they either just stayed in town and did some, did portrait work. Uh, or uh, some of them would want to go out and travel out into the landscape and do and do view work, uh, capture views and, and sell those as another way to make make money. Um, so he really longed to do that. Now it's very it's difficult once you you establish a studio you have to you have to be there and manage the business and and do the photography work. So it's it's a hard balance. It's hard to get time to get out. And do it. So the fact that he had the Northern Pacific to send him out on trips and that he would be more or less guaranteed through contracts to get to be paid for that work uh, allows him to go on these uh, photographic expeditions or journeys. His first one is in 1877. Uh, I believe it's September. Let me see. He heads out. Yeah, it's actually October. He heads out to the Black Hills. There's no rail line to the Black Hills from Fargo, Moorhead. Mm. Uh, Dakota Territory, uh, but the railroad sends him out on, on a stagecoach. So it's a long journey, difficult journey. He loves it. He has a great time. He just meets all these characters along the way. And then, and then uh, photographs, uh, he's generally doing stereographic photography at this point. Uh, and, and he photographs dozens of views, brings them back, they sell like hotcakes. He, he's, it's a success all the way around. 
and he just he, at that point he really sees that he's gonna he's gonna make it, and he's trying to get to the point where then he can tell tell Lily, which he had, we have lots of letters between him and Lily Snyder. Uh, she's back in Wisconsin still, and he's trying to get to the point where he can uh, you know marry her and bring her to to be with him. Uh, so he's almost there. He actually they they are married in in January 1878. Um, and it's at that time as well, he begins, he hires some assistants uh, or, or begins to depend more on assistants. And also, once Lily is, is, comes to Moorhead to join him, she works actively in the studio and does lots of photographic work with him. So, so she's a huge asset to, to him um, and really allows this con to continue. And that, this is a photograph of them shortly after their marriage uh, in, a, in a photo studio. And let's see, so then, yeah, another trip, the other trip that he was able to make is uh, into Montana. He's able to go up the Missouri River, goes to the end of the line of the NP, which is, I believe, somewhere around the Dakota-Montana border at that point in 1880, uh, summer of 1880. And then he, uh, he and his assistants, I think maybe just one assistant, go up the, down the Yellowstone to the Missouri and then up the Missouri River uh, through uh, just amazing landscapes, and he's photographing all along the way. Uh, makes it to um, Fort Benton and the Great Falls of the Missouri, um, and that's that photograph actually at the beginning here on the left. That's him at the at the Great Falls of the Missouri River in 1880. That's his stereographic camera as well. Okay, so uh, he had actually planned a trip to Yellowstone in what was it eight? Shortly after arriving in Minnesota at Moorhead, um, which it didn't succeed in being carried out. He and another person who really wanted to go to Yellowstone, it was 1877, uh, they, they're not able to make that trip, mostly because he's busy with the, the photo studio and the Northern Pacific is giving him plenty of work to do. Uh, so he's kind of biding his time. He has to be patient and wait for that one. But he really longs to make it to the Yellowstone National Park. Um, it finally happens uh, in, in 1881. Uh, the NP sends him to, uh, to Canada, but then shortly after that, he, he gets back, and they, uh, through, through the assistance of Charles Fee, who was kind of his, um, his contact, his main contact with the Northern Pacific Railroad, uh, they uh, set up a trip for him to Yellowstone, and he gets to make that trip ultimately, which really changes his life. So let's get into some of his photography. So in, from 1881, he pretty much visits the park every single year after that. And uh, his first trip in 1881, this is, I believe this shot is just from 1883, but that shows him, Haynes is actually on the bridge. His assistant is there at the camera. Uh, prob presumably another assistant is taking the photograph. So <laughs> this, is at, this is at Excelsior Geyser along the Firehole River. Uh, but stereographs is kind of the name of the game uh, in this, this first several years of photographing in the park. Uh, it's what he uh, was most comfortable with. It's what he knew could sell, and he really needs to sell these. Uh, and and it's, it's also helped sort of assistance for the railroad to popularize the park by the sale of these stereographs. Um, that was the, you know, was just, stereographs were, were a huge thing. Um, like like television in the 1950s, perhaps. Uh, I don't know if that's a perfect analogy, but uh, it, it does convey the popularity and just the, the central 
place that stereographic views had uh, in the general po population, especially in the, the eastern states, uh, which is predominantly where the, you know, the future tourists are going to come from to uh, come to the national park. So the railroad has a huge interest in employing him to, to gather these. He has a personal business interest to do it as well. Uh, uh, but he's also an adventurous person, and he longs to explore this, this wonderful area. Uh, so this just I have a, several. There's, I think, is it 70? I think it's 75. About 75 photos, stereographs that he takes in the first year in 1881. So there's quite a bit, and I just uh, grabbed a few here to show you. Uh, and this, uh, this is Grotto Geyser, and of course, this is, just, this is kind of the extreme of the the otherworldly nature of, of geothermal features that you know he wanted to capture and present to to the public um, to see through a three through the three dimensional stereographic viewer uh, to see just how odd and strange this this place is and and just not like anything else that anybody would would imagine. So um, this is along Yellowstone Lake, of course, and uh, it's it kind of points out points to his development as a photographer. This is I mean, he's had enough experience with uh, landscape views to, to try to find the best way to capture a place and present it three-dimensionally and stare it with stereographs. Um, so, you know, this is, it's not an amazing photograph, but it's, I think it's good. And it shows, you know, you, could, you couldn't um, capture a very good view of Yellowstone Lake just by maybe pointing out into the lake and taking a, a view at this point. Uh, the lenses and the, the photography was not developed enough to, to capture things. You had problems with a sky and clouds that you couldn't, you couldn't really capture the distinctions, the contrast. Uh, so the best thing you can do is try to include something that's sort of familiar or a, uh, a point or location. So he does a nice, a nice job in you know, just composing the, the image. And this doesn't necessarily tell, speak to the grandeur of the place, but it, it does speak to the beauty of you know, somebody could imagine walking along this this beach, um, rocky shore, and you know, and just taking in the views. Um, so, so it does work for what he's trying to do. Uh, I, with this as well, this this is a, a staple of his stereographic photography, um, and really all of his photography. He tries to include um, a surrogate, a person in the image, to help help the viewer to see themselves as as potentially entering into the scene or, or in, uh, you know, coming as a tourist themselves and standing on the edge of this canyon and just looking down. And, and so, he, you know, he captures the depth of this. And of course, this transfers pretty well to three-dimensional, too, with the, the depth of the canyon and, and the scene. Um, the canyon goes on to be really one of his, his favorite subjects in the park. Oops. Get caught up on my notes, too. Okay, so... Waterfalls. Uh, this this again is one of his most favorite uh, subjects. Um, at Gibbon Falls in the park, Yellowstone's abundant waterfalls drew Haynes' camera as much as as other as much as other features. He, uh, he wrote to his wife Lily in 18, 1881, "The chief attractions in the park are falls, lake, geysers, and hot springs, but each one can be seen in a hundred different ways." Uh, this stereo of, of Gibbon Falls was among the first of many Haynes would take of this picturesque scene. Uh, you know, occasionally, he would, uh, you know, have his his surrogates act act out maybe in a way that was was interesting. So this is one of those. 
um, that certainly would have pleased the viewer. Uh, and, and also giving them an idea, like if it was just a view of, of the formation, they couldn't relate to it. They couldn't see like, okay, well, I'd like to go view that, but that looks kind of boring maybe. Or, you know, but if you see, you can interact with the features and, wow, you might climb it and look down into the, into the, the well of water there or something. You know, just, uh, it, it helps uh, the viewer to, to see how they could experience it. Uh, 1881, he was not able to get a successful view of, of Old Faithful. Um, I think it was just too difficult, the lighting and, and trying to capture water spraying up into the air. Um, he had to work at it. And this is, so this is from 1882, the next summer. He does succeed in getting a series of, of views and again places uh, people in the image to give scale, provide scale, and a surrogate for the viewer. This is one of his most interesting stereographs, they're kind of different. Uh, this is at Devil's Kitchen, it's a cave uh, at Mammoth Hot Springs, and it's no longer, it's closed to the public, um, but um, you know, he, uh, the, the ladder was placed in there by, I think, a local uh, businessman to, to allow people to go down into the cave and explore it. Um, so he, this is a very difficult photograph to, to pull off. Um, I believe the, the rays, it's rays of light coming in. Um, I thought at one time, like, maybe it's water or... You know, it's hard to, to tell exactly. Um, and, but he works with the, just the amount of light that he has and, and uh, captures a really interesting scene that would, have, that would have definitely interested viewers. They would have been like, what is that? Uh, and how, oh, there's people in there. That's great. So again, it, it shows the people interacting with Yellowstone's features to try to uh, make it uh, more uh, imaginable, uh, a place they would want to visit. Uh, he, here he is uh, so getting out of the stereographs a, a bit. He does bring larger cameras into the park by 83, 1883. I think this is 80, 83 or 84. It's probably 84. Uh, right after the National Hotel is finished, the first large-scale hotel uh, in the park. And, and the line, the, the NP line, spur line at Cinnabar is opened as well in 1883. So this is going to be you know, the main place where people will come into the park and and stay and so he's he's definitely documenting the the development of tourism there also 1884 he gets his concession license finally he, he had tried for several years from the moment he got out and came to the park in 1881 he tried to get a, a, a license to operate as a photographer in the park he's successful finally in 1884 he's able to build his his uh, sort of studio residence headquarters uh, and it locates it right at, right at Mammoth Hot Springs. So it's adjacent nearby the hotel. It's going to be like one of the main things greeting the public as they come in. Uh, so he's also able to quickly take, take uh, interested parties over. If they want a portrait, they can go over to, this is at Opal Terrace at Mammoth Hot Springs, and get a nice uh, portrait taken. He, he didn't save all of his portraits, I'm sure. Um, he, he either reused glass or or uh, gave the, the glass away at some point. Just, um, so we have some, but, but there are probably many more that he took this time. All right, so his mammoth views. How am I doing on time? Um, Sounds good. Um, so his mammoth views, he, he buy, in 1884, he's, he's going to up the ante on his, his work in the park. Um, so he buys an old um, uh, mammoth portrait camera, which is a very large camera. It holds uh, 20 inch by 24 inch glass plate negatives. 
So he figures, you know, to do, you know, to really um, capture the details of the scenery and the landscape, that that having that much, that detail will allow him to produce larger mammoth prints that then can be used in, in promotion. And he was encouraged to do so by Charles Fee with the Northern Pacific Railroad. They wanted to use large, large scale um, photographic prints uh, for advertisements like in, in trains, train stations, depots, uh, and elsewhere. Um, exhibits and so on. So he does this, and so from 1884, um, he starts photographing these large. Let me get caught up again. So in 1884, he actually does 28 uh, mammoth negatives, creates 28 mammoth negatives. Um, from 85 to 88, he does at least 16 more. Uh, he's very successful with these. Um, from 1886 to 87, he sells over 8,000 of the mammoth prints, and most of them are sold to the Northern Pacific Railroad, of course, for advertisement. Um, let's go some, through some of the mammoth views. This is at Artist Point, and he actually named Artist Point. It was one of his favorite places to, to view. He thought it was the best view of the canyon and the falls together, and I visited back in the end of May of this year, and it certainly is amazing. Um, I've been there a number of times, but each time you go, it's depending on the light and the time of the year. You know, it's just, it really, Artist Point is really remarkable, but any, any point along the canyon is. Um, so he gets this view. Uh, Tower Falls is a favorite of photographers, going back to William Henry Jackson, of course. He places, you probably can't see it, but he places a, a person right on the, the top of the rock, and I, I believe William Henry Jackson did as well in a photograph, so he, he's certainly showing his influence there. Uh, he's not going to experiment too much, because <laughs> he just wants a good view, and it's a nice nice view of, of the falls. Uh, also, Golden Gate is is a good good view for him uh, to show the some of the, the beginnings of transportation infrastructure in the park, again, to show show people that yeah, you can you can ride on this this wooden viaduct here to skirt the skirt the rocky canyon. So that might have produced a little fear in the hearts of some tourists, but uh, but it's certainly an adventurous thing. So and it's a beautiful view. Uh, Mammoth Hot Springs was another favorite of Haynes, uh, and this again we see him placing a figure, uh, and and this could also harken back to William Henry Jackson's work in the early 1870s. Uh, but having that person there both both directs the view uh, of the of the viewer to, to look toward Bunsen Peak and just take in the whole. Uh, it just helps the composition of the photo. One of my favorites. Um, so they actually had to. I'm gonna read. Where did I put my? This is where I catch up with my stuff. Yeah, the remarkable achievement for Haynes, a remarkable achievement for Haynes and his assistants was getting their large camera. Uh, and related equipment down the south side of the canyon to capture this striking scene of the lower falls of the Yellowstone River. One of his assistants stood on the rocks amid the spray of the falls to provide the human scale necessary for the viewer to relate to the spectacular viewpoint. Uh, again, you know, his composition is excellent, and just being in that spot, getting the camera to that location is a huge trial um, and doesn't really, you know, maybe it does uh, come out in the, in the photograph, but, uh, but yeah, they had to do a lot just to get this one photo get down there and then they use ropes to pull, pull well, they, they use ropes to get the equipment down and then pull it back up as well so uh, tough work 
Another kind of abnormal or not usual scene of, of the lower falls, which I really like. Um, to me, this, I mean, just the detail in the, in the rocks on, on either side of the falls and just the, uh, the dramatic scene is, is really, really neat. Uh, he does a great job with that. Uh, again, so typical faithful view, uh, but here he gets, he's able to capture the, um, the clouds, uh, which wasn't a, a very easy thing. And uh, and has the people kind of dancing around, waving their hats and stuff in the in the view. Uh, it's possibly taken around the same, the same maybe the same day. Uh, another shot of Lone Star Geyser. Um, just a he doesn't have a person in this one, but he's got it erupting. So he's he's developed his skills to where he he can he's more cer- certain of his uh, his capability to capture uh, the eruption and the water and the spray and and be able to to get it, have it look good. So it just goes for a direct view on that one. So last part I want to talk about with him is kind of his experience. I've talked a bit about it already. Um, he, he went all over the park and he cer- certainly focused on the main features to try to um, uh, share that with the public. But, but he, went, he went almost everywhere and he, I think he really enjoyed it. He seems to be an adventurous person who uh, loved to travel in in the you know 19th century means by wagon and and camp and and bring all his equipment with him um so this is him on the right with uh, he's got some assistance with him too but uh he he uh went on the first uh first winter trip with uh, i'm gonna run out of time so i won't spend too much time on it but in january 1887 he uh, goes along with the the first major winter expedition kind of into the park um, Lieutenant Schwatka led that. He got sick partway through at Norris. By the time they rent, made it to Norris Geyser Basin, and this is them at, at near Obsidian Cliff there. So Schwatka has to basically drop out. Um, Haynes uh, convinces a couple of the more hardy uh, people on the trip to go along with him because he's just dying. He he he's gone that that far and he's got all his equipment. He's going to finish this. He's going to do it and make it to the Geyser Basins and to the canyon and. And of course, they, the much smaller group, they succeed in doing that, um, including capturing this, this view. Um, they had to wait out a storm. You know, this is 1886, 87, that winter was a horrible winter. Uh, it's the same one that you know, killed most of the livestock in the plain, on the plains. Uh, they had to wait out like three days, a uh, horrible storm. Uh, finally, the weather cleared. They, they camped right, basically like right on Old Faithful. Uh, to stay warm, and uh, they, you know, the the storm cleared to this kind of more clear sky, so and so the sunlight he could finally take photographs, uh, but the temperature is like negative thirty degrees, so, so somehow he pulls it off and gets these these photographs even with those conditions. That's it's rather amazing, and he does make it to the canyon as well, and and then they almost die on uh, um, Mount Washburn in a blizzard, but the, the, the team makes it back all the way. And he brings back about 60 uh, glass plate negatives that you know, no one had ever, well, okay, one photographer maybe had made a winter trip, but hadn't gotten nearly as many views as he did. Uh, I think I'll skip here, some more view of the canyon and geyser basins. He captures this, the eruption of Excelsior Geyser in uh, 1887 i believe or 88 it's at the tail end of its it was very active in the 1880s thankfully he's able to capture this tremendous action shot and freeze it um, this is a classic view of old faithful that you know has been used 
over and over for advertisements and things. Um, Haynes certainly used it a lot. Um, this last photo just uh, shows kind of his aesthetic development. Um, again, with Yellowstone Lake, you know, what do you do? You've got a huge body of water and the shore is really far away and you can't really see those mountains on the horizon. So he, he this is a, I think this is at West Thumb, um, the, the geothermal feature and uses it to, uh, to sort of make this dramatic uh, photograph. And it's definitely showing his development over time. So, uh, let me read. And here. Haynes falls firmly in the American tradition of 19th century landscape view photographers. He may even have been one of the most financially successful members of his profession. His photography, and especially his Yellowstone work, is marked by, his, by this fact. Um, his photos of Old Faithful and numerous other geothermal features of the Grand Canyon, the Yellowstone, in various shades of light and dark and varying seasons, of a myriad of stunning waterfalls and of many other remarkable scenes, preserve a moment in Yellowstone's past nearly 150 years ago. In many ways, they can show us how successful the idea of nature preservation has been in this place over that time. Uh, this fact that the fact that Haynes produced this work in service to the railroad as well as his own business interests, should not diminish the more immediate, ple immediately pleasing aesthetic aspects of his best work, nor cancel Haynes' obvious uh, enjoyment and devotion to Yellowstone. Though it may ultimately leave a bad taste, uh, importantly, placing Haynes' Haynes's work in the broader context of Yellowstone's history and in the cultural and environmental history of the United States uh, marks him as a foundational figure in the commodification of nature in the park. Uh, marketing the landscape as a symbol of the region and selling images of it uh, for tourists to remember their experience with the scenery of the park became, by the late 19th century, a standard human interaction with Yellowstone. And Haynes, ever in the right place at the right time, made his fortune from it. Okay, that, is, that concludes the Haynes part, and it's pretty much out of time. Um, I will say we're, we are digitizing the Haynes glass plate collection. Uh, which amounts to about 9,000 glass plates, so it's huge. Uh, we've, we've done about 700, I believe. Uh, around 700 are up and available on the Montana Memory Project, and we're continuing the work. It's going to go on into the summer of next year. Uh, we hope to, do, to finish about 2,800 um, photographs of Haynes, so it, it includes his Yellowstone work from the 1880s and, and even some after. Uh, so go to the Montana Memory Project and take a look at just... You can just search Haynes Foundation uh, or Haynes Foundation Photograph Collection. We'll get you there. There's also a landing page uh, that's, that's being developed. So uh, check it out and keep up with our work in digitizing this great collection.